Alcohol Tipping Point is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. Welcome to the Alcohol Tipping Point Podcast. I am your host, Debbie Maisner, and today on the show we have Peter White, um, who joins us from Canada and specifically is here to represent um, part of the Indigenous people of Canada and, and talk a little bit more about his story with alcohol and addiction and then just reconnecting with his roots, his tribal roots. So welcome, Peter. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, to maybe do a little bit more of an introduction of yourself, where you're from, um, and, and a little bit about like your tribe. Okay. Yeah. My name is, uh, my traditional name is Kinshuke Teshmiet. And in Tunaha, translated to English, that means uh, night runner. And Tunaha is known as the, the Kootenai tribes, the Kootenai in America, and then Kootenais in Canada. Um, I'm regionally from the, uh, the Tunaka Nation. The Tunaka lands is, I guess it would be southeast British Columbia. It would be um, west, south, Alberta, um, down into Montana and Idaho. Great. Yeah. So close to where we're at here in Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty close. Uh huh. And so tell me, um, what was your experience like with alcohol? Oh, I started drinking at a very young age. Um, it's, it's ran in my family for, I know on my dad's side, three generations now alcoholism mm-hmm. due to residential schools and things like that. Um, my father just passed away recently. Um, I didn't really have much of a bond with him because he was—he still struggled with his addictions through, uh, even through his fifties. Um, myself, I started drinking at around sixteen, and it, it took over my life pretty quickly. Um, as I became legal enough here in Canada, it's nineteen to be able to buy alcohol. I was drinking all weekend, every weekend, up until I was about twenty-four. Yeah, so it sounds like it was a part of just your family history and and then just starting young and and so you said you drank until you were 24 pretty heavily and then what was your experience? Um throughout my my alcoholism, I I was homeless. I moved to the big city at 18 and I was basic I was working but basically all my money at the time at 18 was, was going to alcohol and partying. And uh, I was just sleeping on friends' couches. I was sleeping on the streets. I was just, I had my, some of my stuff in bags all over the place. And as I kind of got a little more older, I kind of realized I needed a house to live in to be able to work and to be able to keep partying. So um, um, I, I partied up until I was about... 
24, I was with a, a partner at the time who had a little daughter and uh, she was three and she was indigenous also. And we spent a lot of our times partying and she was kind of neglecting her daughter and neglecting spending time with her. And I think it was around our one year mark. She told me she wanted to stop partying as much. And if I wanted to be with her and her daughter, I needed to do the same thing. And uh, at that point, I remember I was kind of coming in from in and out of my blackouts because every time I drank, I blacked out. Um, I just had a vision of my of my parents, of how they were and how they had to actually adopt me out when I left. I left the hospital because they had their own addictions and they struggled with it. And I just didn't want to be that for that little girl. I didn't want to be that, keep that cycle going that I, that I was born into. So. At that point, I kind of realized I needed to, to make a change in my life. Yeah, so pretty powerful to see just from the viewpoint of that little girl that was in your life. Yeah, because I, I struggled. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't understand when I was a kid why my parents would give me away and I felt like they didn't love me. And as I got older, I started to realize that they struggled with their addiction with alcohol and that's what prevented them from being a parent towards me. Yeah. that And, and so when you were growing up, what was it like to grow up as a first nations youth? Uh, I dealt with a lot of racism because I grew up in a, in a white family and they, you know, they love me like their own. And um, my mom was very, you know, very open to me learning my culture and stuff. But I, we grew up in a very small town. So we, we get questions all the time because I'm darker on how my mom was my mom and how my sisters were my sisters because we weren't the, the same color of skin. And I dealt with that a lot growing up. And, and it was a small town. So you, you grew up with racism. You grew up with like people kind of treating you different and looking at you differently because of what they saw as a stereotypical Indigenous person. Yeah, so you were adopted when you were a baby, so you didn't grow up in your culture per se. No, uh, I was. I lived pretty close to my to my reservation, and I had some ties with other family members there that were, you know, kind of guiding me. But uh, it was at the age of nine or ten we actually moved away to another another town that was about ten hours away from my reservation. And at the time, we didn't have technology like this. So I, I basically just lost all touch with culture and everything. Yeah. And, and so then when you were 24 and, and you were deciding that you were done with alcohol, how did that tie back to reconnecting with your roots? And, and how did that help you overcome your addiction? When I was... I was about two years into my sobriety um, and on weekends in the summertime, I was kind of, I needed something to do to, to keep me sober. So I started to go back to powwows. Uh, as a little boy, I, I started to dance powwows. I've actually been down to Quarter Lane quite a few times when I was younger to dance and around that area. And Two years into my sobriety, I started going to, to powwows all over the place. I would even travel just down to Seattle and around that area 
on weekends just to just to get a day out and check out the powwow. And I think it was right around my three-year sobriety, uh, I was diagnosed with a tumor in my right foot. That was cancer, and, and that's kind of when I decided I needed to get back into dancing and my culture and learning things like that. Wow. Okay, so... Let me back up. So what? So tell me what a powwow. I've never been to one. So tell me what that experience is like. Oh, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty powerful. It's it's a celebration of life. Everyone's welcome to join them. They have some pretty big ones in the Idaho area. I know uh, Clearwater has a pretty big one. Coeur d'Alene has a really really big one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a celebration of life. People come together to celebrate life and to meet new friends and just, just to be in the moment and experience it. And they, they run pretty late sometimes, you know. Uh, sometimes they run up to like 2 a.m. <laughs> and they're all weekend. So it's fun. It's, it's just a good way to meet people and to be outdoors and to just enjoy life. So, so it's, did you say it's a week-long event typically? It's usually, they usually run from Friday night to Sunday evening, Mm. just depending. Mm -hmm. So that is where you, you started dancing again and then you got diagnosed with a tumor in your foot. Yes. And and what happened with that? Um, I'm currently four years now in remission. I just, I just passed my six, my six, uh, I do six month checkups. And now I'm on to my yearly checkups now, and, and nothing's come from that now, which is kind of nice. Uh, I'm, I'm just grateful for that. Uh, but, it, you know, it was my blessing in disguise because it's what made me, it gave me that spark and that push to start uh, getting back into my culture and going to ceremonies and dancing and going to powwows. Yeah, so just tell me about your your dancing and, and what that experience is like. So what I, I dance, it's called the, the men's traditional dance. It's, it's a war dance, and it comes from the, the Sioux people. And what it entails is a warrior would go out to war or to hunt, and they would come back to their communities, and they would tell their loved ones what they saw on their journeys. And they would come back to dance in celebration and victory that they survived another another battle or hunting for food and they came back with food to provide for the communities and it's 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 i don't know sometimes i just get lost mm-hmm. in the moment and it's this is very um it's powerful it's, it's really hard to explain when you're dancing but it, for me anyways it just it just makes me feel really proud and it makes me feel really strong and it yeah i can't really explain it yeah, and, and connected to to your roots and your culture. Yes, that's that's another one too. Yeah, I feel really connected. Um. So what? Um. What What is the experience like for First Nations and alcohol use? You mentioned that it ran in your family. Um. We. I feel like it's kind of been a stereotype that um, indigenous people have higher rates of alcohol use and 
Um, well, maybe not even a stereotype because statistically it is higher in that population. Can you talk to uh, the listeners just about alcohol and indigenous people and how that has impacted your lives? It, it comes back all the way from, from that disconnect from the residential schools and that's what we call them in Canada. And they're also called boarding schools, Indian boarding schools down in the States. And typically what they would do from four to, I believe, 16, they would take the children away from their homes and they would force Catholic religion on them. They would cut their hair. They would beat them and all these things. They would molest children if they spoke their languages or they had anything to do with who they were as people. And they were allowed to, some um, some of these schools would allow these kids to go home for a month or two during the summer for, for a summer break. And slowly they started to realize that there was a disconnect from the parents to the children. There wasn't that, that true bond. There wasn't that true love between them. Parents didn't know how to love their children. And the children were neglected um, of being children basically in these schools. And when they came home, they wanted to, to experience that from their own parents, but their parents were just so traumatized from having their children taken away and, and them not recognizing them and them speaking a different language. And some of them not even knowing their own languages anymore, that parents would tend to start to lean towards alcohol to just kind of numb their feelings and their emotions. And, as these kids grew up and they got out of school, it's the same thing with them. They would start to turn to alcohol to, to try to forget the things that they experienced at, in these schools. And it's it's been proven that basically the whole monkey see, monkey do thing, mm-hmm. that, that's true. As a kid, if you see your parents drinking and, you know, doing things like that, it just becomes normal for you and it's normalized in your eyes. And then the next generation that happens and then so on and so on. And I, this is the first, I mean, it's kind of shocking to me, um, is the first I've really heard about these residential schools. What, when was the timeline of these? Is it still happening? Like what, what is the history of these? The early, it started, they started early in the early 1800s. Okay. And in Canada, I know for the last one closed in 1996 in Saskatchewan. Wow. So they're pretty recent. And and so you mentioned that your birthday is September 30th and that in Canada is going to be a national holiday. And what did, was the yeah. name of the national holiday? It's called uh, Re- Reconciliation Day. Um, it's reconciliating the, the bond between Indigenous people and the Canadian government which we still kind of haven't really seen much of Mm -hmm. Um, to this day. There's a lot of issues that go on, even on the American side of uh, indigenous peoples and reservations and things like that. Just lack of funding, lack of money, lack of awareness. Uh, Over, I know over in Ontario, Canada, they have over 50 reservations that are on boiled water advisories still, Mm -hmm. or they they just can't drink their water. It's non-consumable. And I think it's kind of a hidden, um, 
I mean, it's still going on in America and Canada, like you said, that there there's these populations, there's these tribes that are not doing well. Um, but it's not talked about. It, the awareness isn't there, like you said. Yeah, and and uh, I know in the states because the, your laws are different. Some some bands, some tribes, they have casinos, mm-hmm. which help them be able to have that money and uh, the needs to be able to invest in their community. But not not all tribes are like that. It's just a select few that are like that. Um, if you look at all the tribes across America. It's probably a pretty low percentage that have casinos on their land. And how about in Canada? Uh, shoot, it's, it's even smaller. I, I know of like maybe a handful that do. Mm-hmm. Just because our laws are different here in Canada as well for being able to pass those and get those. And so you've become really involved in your community now. Besides the powwow, what are some other things you are passionate about with your tribal community? I'm really passionate about sobriety and trying to normalize sobriety, especially in, in indigenous communities. Because um, I'm, I'm currently single. And it's weird, it's weird because when I try to date people or go on dates and I meet people, that's one of the first things I bring up and, and it's not very normal. And if you're sober, you obviously know it's kind of, it's a lot more harder to, to date. It's not mm-hmm. normalized sobriety because it's, it's alcohol is everywhere. It's, it's so softly marketed that people don't realize that it's, it's not normal and, it, and sobriety should be normal. And it, it's crazy when I used to go to parties and stuff like that, when I was getting sober, my friends would bug me, like, oh, how come you're not drinking? You know, here, have a drink, have a drink. And they were just, it, it wasn't normalized. And that's one of the things I'm really passionate about is trying to bring that back into decolonizing because, you know, as as Indigenous people, you know, we, we didn't know what alcohol was. We only knew sobriety for the longest time. And it's only with recently within the last 150 to 200 years we knew we experienced alcohol. Yeah, and and just the way that you now celebrate is with dance and reconnection and, and not celebrating with alcohol. Yes, yeah. Um, one year I actually went uh, skydiving for, I think, oh. five years. That was pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I try to celebrate by dancing and things like that. And usually my sobriety date is June 15th, mm-hmm. so usually – I, I'm getting ready to go out and travel. In the summertime, I usually travel throughout North America all summer just to go to powwows. And that's what I do usually from the middle of June until Labor Day weekend. Fantastic. So you're normalizing sobriety by speaking about it and 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 being one uh, and being a native um, indigenous person speaking about it, which you don't see a lot of. No, we don't. I, I get a little bit of backlash and it's, you know, people do feed into the stereotypes that we're all alcoholics and, but we're not. Um, it's just only recently within the last, like I said, 150 years, 200 years, we've experienced alcohol and people tend to forget like who we were before all this. And uh, I've, it's it starts at a young age. So that's what I'm trying to make it cool 
I'm trying to make sobriety seem cool because it is, you know, I'm not trying to make it, I'm trying to make it trendy. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it's hard to meet sober people. It really is. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think the other thing you're making cool, if you haven't seen Peter's videos, um, is you're dancing and you'll do it like to modern music. Yeah, I like to do that. I like to edit, edit some of my, I'll dance to normal, to my power music and then I'll find a song I like and I, I try to throw it in there to to catch more people's eyes and to bring more awareness and to just to connect with more people. Yeah, I thought, it. what were some of the modern songs you put on there? I was like, oh, this is cool. Uh, there's a there's an artist. His name is Sick Sick Kick, I think I believe. He just recently became pretty famous over uh, Instagram doing doing the reels, doing a thirty second mm-hmm. skit on songs, and he'll just remix um, famous songs and he'll hit, remix hit songs and trending songs with old songs and things like that. So I liked a lot of his music. So I would try to remix a lot of my music to his songs. Yeah. Super cool and and a good way to like just bring it back to people. Um, well, what would you say are your top tips for anyone who's looking to change their relationship with alcohol? My number one thing I tell people when uh, they're they're starting to get sober is they need to find their why. They need to figure out why they want to get sober. And with that, finding that why, you know, writing out 10 things you're going to gain from sobriety. And if you have to take a, take a shot of that and put it on your, on your phone as your screensaver, your background, and to have that letter on you. And when you feel like relapsing, when you feel like giving up, you just pull out that list of those 10 things you're going to gain and just read it out loud to yourself a few times if you have to. And it actually, I've given that tip to a few people now and they said it's really helped them come back to their why and why they started the journey in the first place. I love that. Do you have your 10 things? Uh, I've been sober for so long that I only recently discovered this like within the last year and a half, two years. Uh, I do have a list of why you know, I'm sober, but I, I'm at that point now where I can't even see myself drinking ever again just because I'm happy and I'm, I'm content yeah. with who I am and life. So I people are like, oh, are you ever going to drink again? I'm like, no, I don't I don't need it. I, I have no desire for it no more. It's, it's basically a, a foreign thing to me. Yeah, it's like, why would you? And, and yeah, one thing I also tell people is, is that it's, it's a, a depressant. It actually makes you more depressed. It's not an antidepressant like they market it to you. And they make you seem like all you're really doing is just numbing that pain for a moment and you're you're not really facing it. And that's where you actually get over the, the pain or whatever you're going through at the time is facing it and dealing with it. And what did you do? You know, what were some of the specific things you did to get sober? Uh, the one thing I did is I started going to the gym. I got a, I got a personal trainer and it was kind of cool because he's sober himself too. And that was the one thing we talked about on when we did our sit down and talking and the consolation, 
of what I wanted from fitness. And he said that if you want to get in shape and you want to look your best and feel your best, he's like, you're going to have to give up alcohol because it, it just, it's not good for your body. There's a lot of harsh chemicals in it. It's, it just puts your body in a depressed state and a sluggish state. And when you're first getting into the gym, creating that, that discipline, creating the, um, it, it just, it makes it harder because you're not feeling a hundred percent to go. And I was like, wow, you know, that's pretty cool how this guy is telling me this and I wanted to get sober. Yeah. And that was one thing was that. And then my why was that little girl and not being uh, the drunken mess like my parents were. Yeah, those are strong. Um, what and did you? Yeah, go ahead. One one other thing I did because my tr- my trigger day, I, everyone has their trigger moments. Was usually Friday night. So Friday night, my partner and I would usually go just to a later movie, like mm-hmm. at the movie theaters. So by the time I got out of the movies, I was too tired to want to drink, anyways. That's a good tip because you're you're in a contained place and you're entertained and then you're you can't like get you're not at a bar (laughs) and so yeah and then you can just go home those are great to just to even drink or want to drink yeah was there anything else that was helpful for you back then um i think those no that was basically enough for me myself was uh just finding the foundation of why I wanted to be sober and and kind of starting to work out and feel better because I wasn't drinking at all either so I was more reinstilling that that feeling of how sobriety feels good so I, that was basically all I needed yeah and it became more of like a health and and wellness conversation than like what you're giving up and depriving yourself of. Yeah. I have heard um, that our, I've heard the Native American community has come up with a concept of well-briety and I I don't know if that's in um, Canada as well, but um, more of the whole self, so being sober and well, your like whole body, your whole person, and they call it well variety. I've I've heard of that. I had I had a friend recently go through his sobriety. He reached out to me and he he told me about that. So, oh yeah, kind of new to me. And there's a there was a, a guy before. I don't know where he's. I don't know if he's around anymore, but. He was kind of starting a movement that was called Sober is Sexy. Uh-huh. I've st- and he, he was uh, an Indigenous, too, uh, Native American. Oh, that's cool. I've There's been some women out there doing the Sober is Sexy, uh, but on the Native American side with the guy. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. What... What are some other ideas or tips you have about, you know, you mentioned young people um, quite a bit and then being social and dating. Like, what are some tips you have for people out there who are navigating that scene and and they're sober while they're doing it? Just have faith. 
you know, um, just trusting the process and understanding that everything happens for the right reasons. And when you have a, a foundation of what you want and you have a, like per se, a mission, you have that in mind, you're going to get tempted. You're going to get tested by meeting people that you may like that don't have the same similarities as you. They party or they do drugs, and but you, you kind of have a little connection with them. And that's just more of a test to see if you truly want to be with someone who's sober. And from my past experiences, I've, I've started to realize that it doesn't work at all. Even I've had people kind of lie to me and say, oh, I only drink once in a while. I only drink a little bit. And then as I started to get to know them, a little bit was a lot. And our lives just didn't collide the same way. They, mm-hmm. they didn't have the same things we like to do. And it, it, the relationships just never worked out. Yeah. So finding someone who's on the same path as you and being honest. Yeah, that's all I ask people is just to, just to be honest up front. But that's, that's really hard nowadays for people to, to be upfront with everything and just be honest because social media makes it so easy to to create a, a character who on who you're not. Mm-hmm. And that's also one thing I'm trying to, to normalize too is just being you and being vulnerable or just, just being who you are truly because we're all unique in some way. And social media is kind of, push people to think the opposite of that they have to be perfect and they have to be like this they have to be like that and it's not like that yeah uh, just being your true authentic self and and vulnerable I, i mean which is really hard for people to do and they can perceive it as being weak and they don't want to be seen as being weak and so it it takes practice to really put yourself out there It does. It does. And that's, that's like sobriety, you know, if, if you can get, I tell people, if you can get sober, you can do anything in this world because sobriety is such a, a huge thing, right? It's, it's a big accomplishment for a lot of people because it's so normalized with marketing and how it's in movies and how it's everywhere. Drinking alcohol is, it's normalized, which it shouldn't be. And if you can get sober and you can do that, you can you can do anything you set your mind on. Yeah, it's a real confidence booster. <laughs> like, yeah, I got this. And and like you like to do something that's against the grain, um, to really put yourself out there and be different than the majority of people is is a kind of strength. It is. We're, we're like the one percenters. <laughs> <laughs> In a good way. Join us. Join us. <laughs> yeah. um, it's good. It, it, sobriety, yeah, it's the best decision I ever made in my life, I have to say. Me too. It just And it's it just makes everything better. It's not like everything's awful, but it just makes it better. Yeah, even food tastes better and mm-hmm. things like that. And vacations are better and you have... One thing I tell, because I work in construction, one thing I tell young guys is that your bank account does not deplete at all. Like you basically, you're you're not wasting money. You're literally saving it. Yeah, that's a huge one. Totally. Um, 
Well, what what are your plans for the future, Peter? Um, I'm recently kind of looking into becoming a holistic nutritionist mm-hmm. and kind of tying that with um, sobriety and eating and how it makes you feel better and how even just eating certain things could even help you on your sobriety journey by making you feel better by just drinking more water throughout the day. That's, that's one good tip that I got from my trainers. My water intake was really bad and just how it's uh, food can affect your mood and it can either help make or break your, even your sobriety journey. Yeah. Food is a huge one. And, um, a huge trigger for a lot of people and for me in particular was when I was hungry. And so just fueling yourself and taking care of your body and keeping your blood sugar stable uh, just can really help a lot with those cravings. And yeah, that's my goal is to become a holistic nutritionist. Um, you know, also just keep spreading the, the awareness to more people and helping them on their journeys and, you know, trying to normalize sobriety and make it make it a cool thing so young kids don't have to go through what I went through. Especially, you know, in the indigenous community, it's it's such a it takes away a lot of people's lives. Um, my cousin at the age of eighteen, he on our grad night he hung himself because he was drunk and depressed over a girl, and it, it's far it happens far too often suicides with alcohol. Yes. And the younger people. So that's one thing I kind of want to make cool is being sober and showing you, you know, you don't have to party to have fun. Yeah. So, I mean, the the rate of suicides related to alcohol use and the suicide completions while intoxicated are alarmingly high. That's super important. Yeah, because am I... Am I alcoholism I even attempted a couple times suicide because I was just just so depressed and I didn't realize that so when I got sober I realized that it is pretty alarming that I would try to even attempt that and the only reason why I attempted it was or was because I was drinking and I tried to try to do it when yeah. I was under the influence of alcohol yeah thank you for sharing that I think that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot is those that the suicidal ideation while you're drunk. I I think a lot of people that is when you get to that certain point, it, it does become more common and it's terrifying. And um, so definitely worth talking about that. It's the alcohol that's leading to you feeling that way. Yeah, it's it's the depressing in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard a saying pretty from an elder. He said that, you know, there there are spirits. You know, alcohol is a form of medicine, but as in everything, if it gets abused, it can overtake your life. Just like drugs, you know, certain drugs they're they're like a medicine in it in a form. But it's really hard to be able to to not over abuse them. Yeah, anything. I mean, really, you can become addicted to anything. I mean, we've become addicted to our phones, 
uh, gambling is an addiction, food, uh, yeah, drugs, smoking, you name it. Yeah, addiction. We're, we're addicted people. Uh, I think it's it's to do with our subconscious mind mm-hmm. uh, and the subconscious mind wanting to always take the easiest route and it doesn't matter what it is, whatever that normal is, it's, it's, it just wants to go that, that easiest pathway. So when you get sober, that's why you have to really instill your why. Yeah. And, and that, that takes practice. That's why I always say like, I, I want to help people practice not drinking. It's not automatic. It does take some time to rewire your brain. Yeah. Because I've, I've attempted to quit drinking before, I think, nine or ten times before that, before I actually quit. Um, and how I kind of did it, uh, I kind of did it like a soft way. I told myself, okay, you can only drink once a weekend. So I would pick a certain date, and then that kind of became a little bit of a habit. And then I said, okay, well, then I could only drink twice a month. And then it got to the point where uh, I didn't have alcohol for three months. And then when I got when I got a, a case of beer, that's I had like a six pack, and that's when I realized I had a problem because I had that I started to get that tingly feeling in my stomach that I really enjoyed, and I was always trying to chase that. Mm-hmm. And that's when I actually realized that I had a problem because I, I had to fight with everything in me not to go out and drink and black out. Yeah. And just being aware of that, like step one is awareness. I, I never, I never did the, the, the AA thing. So I, I'm not really familiar with the whole stuff. Oh, I didn't mean step one AA. I didn't do okay. the AA thing either. <laughs> that sounded, um, kudos to people who do AA. I do not. Um, but I, I should rephrase that. So step one for making any change in your life is awareness. If you're not aware of it, you can't change it. It's true, yeah. That is true, is being self-aware because then you can stop that habit Mm -hmm. that comes up more into your conscious mind. Yeah. Well, so the future, we're going to look for you as um, a holistic nutritionist. Where can people find you now? Uh, they can find me on TikTok and Instagram mainly. That's where I do a lot of my contact. And and my username is Peter Not So White. Peter Not So White. <laughs> yeah, because my legal name is White and I'm not really white. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Because that was your adopted name? No, it was actually my, my name from my dad, my, my real father, my blood father. Uh, there's a story behind that, I guess it comes from residential schools again, mm-hmm. uh, when they were putting these children into these schools, they, we didn't have, we went through, tri- someone through clan systems, someone through, you know, tribes and different things like that, but we didn't have last names and, you know, it was a European thing to have a last name. And so what they would do is they would just ask the kids what their father's name meant, you know in English and that's what became your your last name when you were put into these schools interesting so it came from the your language of white yeah and where did your night runner name come from uh it came from from my Nasukan and Nasukan means chief 
uh, through ceremony, we went and we sat down and I asked him for a name because I, I, growing up, I never had one mm-hmm. and it, and it kind of just felt like I needed to, to do, to have a name because it, it ties you to who you are. And yeah, we went into, to sweat lodge and ceremony and he had given me that name through that way. Wow. How does he, how does that happen? Tell me about that. That's interesting. Usually elders are Nisukins and people that consent. They, they've had more experience on this earth than us. So they have more knowledge than us. And they're, they're told these stories throughout their journeys and they kind of just, it comes to them, these, these names and these, these feelings. And that's how they just usually, that's how they hand out names to people. And he said he had this name, this story that was told about about my name for almost 20 years, he said, and it just felt like it was meant for me. Wow. And how does Night Runner feel to you? It feels pretty powerful because the story behind it was that there was this messenger. Um, he would bring messages to other communities of things that were going to happen if a war was going to happen or a storm or things like that. And he would travel at night and he would basically, it would seem like he would get there in an instant. And it was like his spirit was guiding him there and his spirit would get him there in an instant and now I kind of feel like that's that's who I am I'm bringing messages to people on how to heal themselves on how to get sober on how to just become the best versions of themselves yeah that is really powerful and how do you say it in your language it's uh kenshuke tashmiet beautiful wow Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's nice. It's a nice rainy day here in Vancouver on the West Coast. So it's nice just to stay inside and have a good conversation. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again. If if you are listening and you want to follow Peter, he's at Peter Not So White on Instagram. And where was the other place? TikTok. And it's TikTok, the yeah. same handle. Yeah. At Peter Not So White and, and some really cool videos and message there. All right. And well, very good. And yeah, very good quotes too. Very good positive quotes to help you get in a good mood every day. Yeah. Just, a, a, I mean, we talk about social media being. Um, some of the negative side of social media but this is a definitely a positive side of social media hey everyone thank you so much for listening to this episode of the alcohol tipping point i'm always here for you guys so please feel free to reach out and talk to me on instagram at alcohol tipping point and check out my website alcoholtippingpoint.com Again, I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, see you next time.